Hey guys, Pastor Jeremy here. I just wanted to take a minute and welcome you and thank you for joining us here. We're so excited you're able to join us online and we are thankful we can offer this opportunity. My prayer for you is that you are encouraged and challenged during your time with us as we worship the Lord together. We are so glad you're here with us and I hope you come ready to encounter God through His Word. Blessings. Good morning. Today we're going to read from Matthew 16, verses 13 through 18. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who did they say the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Well, amen. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you for this morning, uh, Lord, that we get to come together, um, every one of us in this, in this room for a reason, for a purpose, Lord, to... Uh, to do what you've created us to do, to come and to sing praises to your name, Lord, to your holy name. I thank you for the opportunity to worship with, uh, with family this morning. And uh, God, we pray that above all things that happen this morning, that your name is glorified and lifted high above every name. For you are worthy of all of our glory, of all the honor, and all the praise. Lord, most of all, we thank you for Jesus and his love for us, that he would go to the cross and die for us. And so, God, we pray all these things in his wonderful name. Amen. Amen. If you would be seated. Hey, it's good to see everybody this morning. Thank you for being here. It's like a big family reunion a little bit. Um, over the last five years, I've actually uh, served Eastwood for five years on the dot. Today is my fifth year anniversary here. And uh, it's, a, it's, it's been pretty cool, um, a, a pretty cool time. So I feel like even though I don't get to be here that often, this is actually only my second time in a worship service. Um, since I've been here for five years because I typically lead at the other campus. And uh, to be able to sit and uh, uh, to, to sit on the front row and to worship um, is not something that I've had the opportunity to do. It's much like uh, Jeremy uh, doesn't get the opportunity a ton to, uh, to sit, I guess, under preaching, if you will, because he tends to be here the whole time. And so to be able to sit and, and to be able to listen, to be able to worship um, with you guys is, uh, is, is really, really pretty cool. And so I'm really grateful for that opportunity. And and for Dana and the praise team, and uh, it's just been a blessing uh, to be here this morning, and we are grateful uh, again to be here. I grew up in uh, northeast Oklahoma, just north of uh, Tulsa. Uh, when you're born in Oklahoma, there are two things you're born into. Number one, you have to be an Oklahoma Sooner fan. Um, we have a few people who have rebelled against that and become uh, Oklahoma State fans, but we're praying for them, and we know that uh, it'll, it'll change. And you also have to be a Dallas Cowboy fan. And so over your heart, hand over your heart when you say it, um, Dallas Cowboy fan. And so I grew up in northeastern Oklahoma, and uh, uh, not a lot to do in Oklahoma, uh, especially back in uh, the early 80s. Uh, things were kind of changing, maybe a little bit here now and then. In the, hometown, in the town that I grew up in, uh, we just uh, finally got a Chick-fil-A a couple of years ago. I was 27 years old before I had my first Chick-fil-A sandwich, and I've been trying to make up for lost time ever since, and uh, it's been great. Um, but growing up uh, in northeastern Oklahoma, uh, single mom, 
Uh, one of the things that, I was a latchkey kid, I don't know if anybody else was a latchkey kid, but I was, dropped off the bus about 3.30 and I was home, I got my key around my neck, getting into the house, and was home for, you know, a couple hours before mom got home from work, and so one of the things that we did a lot of growing up was watching TV. That was kind of the babysitter, uh, growing up with a single mom, watching TV was it, so uh, or at an early age, watching TV, I had this love, uh, and I still have a love for movies. I love movies. Love watching movies. Uh, as I get older, I don't necessarily care so much about the movie as it just kind of allows me not to think about anything in life and just kind of escape a little bit. And so still love watching movies and love watching TV. I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't learn about books and what books were until I was about 24 years old. I knew we had to read them in school. Um, but other than that, I was like, hey, if there's a movie, I'm watching it. Have you ever seen, you know, I just say, uh, well, I remember getting to college, and have, have, you ever, or have you ever read The Iliad and the Odyssey? And I was like, nope, but I've seen the movie. <laughs> or, or they would ask me if I've read something, I'd be like, no, but is there a movie? And they're like, yes. And I was like, there I'm at. That's what I'll be doing this afternoon if you need me. And so I remember watching um, just tons of movies and all these movies. But I love, love movies, and it was late and I hope you don't hold this against me, but about 24 years old, I heard about these books, and I'm a little bit behind the game on this, called Harry Potter. And there were no movies out at the time, and it was only the books. And so I started reading the Harry Potter books. And uh, there, was, there was only four out at the time when I started reading them, and I, I read them all in like a week and a half. And I'm sitting there, and I'm visualizing um, all that's going on within these Harry Potter books. And I was excited for the first movie to come out. But you know, if you guys are readers, the avid readers who books get turned into movies, you know the movies are pretty much a letdown, right? Because you have, you read the book and you're just like, oh, this is going to be an incredible movie. And then the movie comes out and you're like, oh. You know, it's just, you're just completely bummed uh, by the movie. And so I remember reading the Harry Potter books. I remember reading Hunger Games. I remember reading, uh, one of my favorite books is a John Grisham book called The Testament. I remember reading that book and just always visualizing these particular movies, because there's something about me, and maybe you're the same way, that you, you, you like the visual aspect of it, one way or the other. Either one, you read it, and you visualize it in your mind, or number two, you just want to see it on the screen. And I think that's highly important, that idea of this, this understanding that when we read anything, we have to kind of visualize what is going on. I think that's why a lot of people love narrative in the Bible. The narrative is the easiest parts to read for me in Scripture, because as I read it, over and over again, I begin to see this movie played out in my mind. So I'd like for us to do that this morning as we read and as we walk through Matthew chapter 16. I'd like for us to visualize this as we journey through these few verses. So you get your Bible open. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. Let me give you a, bit, a little bit of context. Jesus here is wrapping up his earthly ministry. It's coming to the end. As a matter of fact, he goes 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. It's probably one of the furthest parts north that he goes. He gets to the top of this particular route. And then after this, after this section of Scripture, Matthew chapter 16, Jesus turns his eyes and his ministry to the cross. This is it. Now, he does some teaching along the way, but he focuses himself on the cross, and what is to happen. One of the things we need to understand about Jesus is he never did anything by happenstance. He just didn't like, oh, look, here we are. Let me do this. 
Jesus was always intentional in everything that we did. We see this all the way throughout his, out of his ministry, even early on in ministry, when he, when he decided that he needed to go to a particular location and he wanted to go to Samaria and the Jews didn't go through that particular area because of the people and there was some, some, some prejudice there. And so Jesus said, no, I've got a, I've got a reason I've got to go. And so what does he do? He's, he, he decides that his journey is going to take them through Samaria to do one thing and that is to really meet the woman at the well. Like he was intentional in every single thing that he did. And we find that here in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus has taken his disciples as far north as he possibly go at the time or in his ministry, and he sits there and he goes to this place called Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi was a pagan, pagan worship place. Like they had, if you, if you could worship it, it was worshiped there. And so if you were to walk there, or if you, maybe and some of y'all have been there, I know you've taken the trips to, to Israel and you've actually been a part of the journey, and so many of y'all can either say I'm lying or not, to your friends after this is over. Not during the middle, please. It'd be great. Um, but going through Caesarea Philippi, but you'll notice that Caesarea Philippi, as you walk through there, and, and I took the virtual tour because I've never been there, so you can go to the virtual tour as well. But you can walk through Caesarea Philippi virtually, and you can look through this entire area of Caesarea Philippi. And as you're looking through this entire area, you notice one thing. There's this huge cave. And at the beginning, um, you know, in Jesus' day, this huge cave that was there was a natural spring water source, one of the tributaries to the Jordan River. And so it would release water, and it would fill the Jordan River, uh, the river that we are very familiar with throughout Scripture. And so there's this huge cave there, and this area was a pagan worship center for all these different religions. And at the mouth of this cave, there was a temple that was built. The mouth of this cave, a temple that was built, and... There were niches that were just hammered out and carved out with little idols everywhere. And it was in this kind of this mountainous area, this, this, this little valley area. And up on the top of the ridge, there were, there were temples to gods all over the place. The cave itself was called Panion. And you could, you could worship the god Benias. And so this area, people all over the place worshiping various gods. And so Jesus taking his disciples, and this is where I want you to kind of visualize with me. Jesus has taken his disciples, and I always kind of envision that Jesus is always kind of leading the pack, right? Like he's the leader, and so he's kind of going. He's got all the disciples kind of behind him, behind them, and they're maybe they're talking. Remember, this is three years into his ministry, so they're all good buddies at this point, and they're all just kind of talking amongst themselves and, and behind behind Jesus, and Jesus is just kind of walking, and I think he's just kind of casually, maybe you visualize this as well, with his eyes closed, with, your, with, with my eyes closed, I sit there and I think that Jesus is just walking, and he's talking, and he's looking around at just all the stuff that's going on, all these worshipers, and he asks a simple question. It's a very simple question, and the question is still being asked today. And the question is this, who do people say that I am? It's kind of a general audience question, right? He's just asking his disciples, you know, looking around, who do people say that I am? I don't particularly care what the general public thinks of me or who I am. Now, I care what you all think. I care what my family thinks. It's a little bit more of a specific audience, but I don't care necessarily what the general public thinks. And Jesus is walking around making a general question, who do people say that I am? 
It's a question that even everybody's asking today. Who is this Jesus guy? But Jesus here was setting up for a more pointed question here to come in just a little bit. Who do people say that I am? And his disciples replied. He said, well, some say John the Baptist. Some others say Elijah in verse 14. And others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. I think this is kind of really, really funny to me that the first thing that he would say is that, that, Jesus, and, or that, that Jesus is John the Baptist. Now, Jesus and John the Baptist were contemporaries. You guys read earlier in, 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 in Matthew, you've seen where Jesus was baptized by who? John the Baptist. Like, so how could they be one and the same people? You know, Herod even believed at one point that, that the, uh, the spirit of John the Baptist, after Herod had killed him, had gone into Jesus. But by the time that it all happened, Jesus had been doing some really cool stuff that had nothing to do with John the Baptist. And he said, oh, maybe others are Elijah. In Malachi chapter 5, the, prophecies, um, uh, the, the prophet says here, that behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And so these people are expecting, the Jews are expecting something great, and they're thinking, oh, this guy could be Elijah. And then some others, Jeremiah, or some other prophet. So there's no idea. People, are, people still haven't, after three years of ministry, and Jesus doing some incredible things, pointing to who he truly is, his deity, people still have no idea who this guy is. We get to verse 14. Excuse me, verse 15. And he turns, and I think about this for a second. This is what I picture. Jesus is walking, he says, who do people say that I am? And he's listening to all the answers. He's walking around, he's looking around. And then I just kind of have this, this, this visual image that Jesus turns, and he looks square in the eyes of all of his disciples, and he says, but who do you, in verse 15, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And I think that's a question that everybody in this room has to answer. I've got to answer it. You have to answer it. Who do you say that I am? Now, Simon Peter is my favorite character in all Scripture. He's the guy who oftentimes speaks first and thinks second. I can relate to that a lot. Sometimes I say something and I'm like, oh, no, you know. Damage control. That's immediately what I go into is how do I fix this? How do I fix the thing? So Simon Peter is a roller coaster of a character throughout Scripture, and you guys are familiar with it. Let's walk through just a little bit about who this Simon Peter character is. First of all, he's called, he's called by Jesus as a fisherman to leave his lucrative uh, life in fishing to be basically a wanderer and homeless for the next three years. Then, so it's kind of, I feel like there's kind of a, it's kind of a high and a low point at the same time. And then all of a sudden, um, a little bit later, Peter walks on water. Big deal. Then he gets scared and then falls, about drowns, right? Has to have Jesus save him at that point. Then in uh, John chapter 6, um, uh, he has this great moment where when, when uh, Jesus, uh, all these disciples basically leave, all these people who were just kind of the, the people who just liked being around Jesus but didn't want to follow him, they, they leave him, and then in John chapter 6, he decides to say, and he says, uh, uh, he says in John chapter 6, um, he says, Simon Peter answered the Lord, he said, Who, where shall we go after the disciples' turn? He said, where should we go? Uh, you have the words to eternal life, and we believe and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter had this opportunity to run, and he didn't run. He said, I have no place to go, because you are who you say you are. And so he stays with Jesus, kind of a high moment. Then in Matthew chapter 15, he's like me a lot of times where he has to have Jesus explain a parable to him. You sit there and he, he does this parable and he just doesn't understand it. 
That's in Matthew 15. Matthew 16, he has this great moment that we're about ready to talk about here in a second where he says that Jesus is, in fact, the Christ, the Son of the living God, in verse 16. But then right after this, if you look at the next section of, your book, of, your, of this chapter, Jesus is rebuking him and calling him Satan. And then later on, he will be with Jesus at the transfiguration. It's like this roller coaster of, of, of a man and of a life and of, of, of doubt He then, in Mark chapter 14, at the end, he, he cuts off Malchus's ear. And then, right after that, he denies Jesus three times. This guy's, this guy's a roller coaster of emotions, and you never know what he's going to say, and you never know what he's going to do. Moments of great faith in, in the one whom he is following, and then moments of great doubt as well. And we see at this moment where Peter, he comes in and in, in verse 16, he steps up for the entire group. He is asking all of his disciples, but who do you, it's a plural you, who do you, not specifically, but who do you say that Jesus is? And what does Peter do? Peter sits in the answers for, 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 for the group and for himself, and he says that you are the Christ. You are the Christ. What, is that, what does that even mean? You are the Christ. The, uh, the, Septu the Septuagint is, this, is this basically the Greek uh, translation of the Old Testament. And so the word Christ is the same word that they use uh, for, for Messiah in the Old Testament. The, uh, the Messiah was the anointed one, the one that was come to save and to redeem the people. And so he is sitting here proclaiming to Jesus, in fact, that he, you, are the, you are the Messiah. You are the one who has come to redeem the world. And he says that, and he proclaims that to Jesus. Peter, the guy who speaks first, thinks second, nails it. He nails it. And he says, you are the Christ, son of the living God. He did not reply that, oh, you're John the Baptist. He did not reply that you're a nice guy. He did not reply, unlike our culture sometimes says, that Jesus is my homeboy. Now, out of anybody in the world who could have said that Jesus is his homeboy at that time and had the shirt to prove it would have been Peter. But he did not say that he was his homeboy. He didn't say that he was simply a good moral teacher like a lot of the world thinks of Jesus today. As a matter of fact, C.S. Lewis wrote in Mere Christianity, he says, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice, this is for us as well, either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great moral teacher. Because he is way more than that. And Peter recognized that. And he said, you are the Christ. You're the Christ. The long-awaited Messiah, the one who had come to redeem and save God's people. But he didn't just stop at you are the Christ. But he, but he continues on. He says, you are the son of the living God. 
one of the great privileges of my life, and I know many of y'all have been in this room, have been um, uh, in that same part of the world, but I had the great privilege to lead three different mission groups over to China. Um, and um, it was a fascinating, uh, a fascinating opportunity and, and, a, and, a, and a really big wake-up call um, to the rest of the world. I'm pretty, I'm pretty comfortable in the Christian bubble world that I live in. And I know many of y'all are as well. But, and so those of you who have traveled maybe with Ed to, to China, you'll, you'll understand these. Maybe you've traveled to different parts of the world as well. But I remember traveling to these parts of the world where people who, the name of Jesus, either one, it's never been, they've never even heard the name, or two, um, they don't want to hear it. And uh, it's illegal to, to really do anything uh, in, you know, Christian in that particular area. So we were going to areas in China where it, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a, a, a one thing, it wasn't a known word. And two, people weren't really thrilled that we were there uh, speaking his name. So I went to China, and I remember with a, with a missionary, we were going around, and we were telling people about Jesus and trying to make these, these contacts with people. And I remember going to these temples, and there's temples everywhere, all kinds of temples. As a matter of fact, where we stayed, there was a temple that was right up the mountain, uh, right behind us, overlooking the entire area. And you, we would walk up to this particular temple, and you would go in there, and the temple wasn't used very much. It was in a very rural area. But inside this area, there were just just these, these huge, massive, 10-foot-tall um, statues to, um, to just different gods, different people. And there would be people there who would come and they'd left money or they had burned incense. You go into town and the temples are much nicer. They're huge. They're enormous. Everything is gold. They're beautiful take up tons of space, and there's just all of this, this courtyard area. And people going in there, and they're, they're putting money in, and they're, they're, they're kneeling down on pillows, and they're bowing, and they're worshiping these, these idols and these false gods. And I remember sitting there, watching this happen, being heartbroken for what's going on, around me, and thinking about Matthew chapter 16 in Caesarea Philippi. Because what was happening 2,000 years ago is still happening today in a temple. It's happening at this very moment down the road on Scottsville Road. It's happening everywhere where people are kneeling and they're worshiping a God that does not exist. And Peter here, recognizing where he's at in this moment in Matthew chapter 15, looks around and notices what is going on around, and he says, you are the Christ you are son of the living God, not like the dead ones that all these people are worshiping, not like the dead ones in China that people are worshiping. You are son of the living God. Peter nails it. He nails it. Jesus is seeing what is going on around him, these people worshiping everything but him, everything but him. And Peter's reply is, you are Christ. You are the Messiah, son of the living God. Not like the dead gods all around them, but exalted above all other gods. Jesus affirms Peter in that moment. He says in verse 17, he said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. It wasn't anything that man told him. It wasn't, by, it wasn't anything that he picked up on the street going down the road, but it was in fact God who revealed this to him, saying that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. In verse 18, he says, And I tell you, Peter, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not 
prevail against it. Upon this rock. Not upon Peter. What is the rock in which he's referring to? There's been some debate. I don't think it's a big debate. But the rock in which is, it's not Peter himself. It's not, hey, we're going to build this particular church on Peter because anything that you build on man, man dies, it dies. The rock in which we're talking about is the confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. This church, this place, the very place that we sit in today was not built, was not built by brick and mortar and wood and nails. It's just a building. I remember being in, uh, uh, in middle school, maybe it was high school at this time, and we had a little youth choir that we did and, and, and thing, and I remember being a part of this little, this little group, and we sang this song, and I wish I could remember the name. You guys, will, I think Jeremy or Dana will remember it. Um, but there was, a, there was a little song. It was like, you can't go to church, some people say, a common terminology we use every day. You can go to a building, you can sit in a pew, but you can't go to church because the church is you, Right? Like, funny little song was by an acapella group, and I remember being up there, you can't go to church. I mean, it was, you know, as, as a 15-year-old, man, I was, I was killing it. Like, it was awesome. <laughs> but the thing is, it's like, this isn't it. This isn't it. This building itself was not built. It's just, it's just, it's just brick and mortar. If this thing were to be wiped away or would have been wiped away in the tornado. You know what would have happened? We would have still met. We'd have found a new building. Why? Because this building isn't it. It's because the church is built on those who have confessed that Jesus is the Christ, Son of the living God. The church has been and always will be built on those who profess Jesus is Lord. When you see a baptism up here, that happens on Sunday mornings. What is your confession? The confession is, Jesus is Lord. That's what this place is. This building will not be around in 100 years. The church will be around in 100 years. Now, I know it's crazy. I know that the, the world outside and in the, in the, in the, the culture in which I'm raising my family in, like, I know it's a dumpster fire. I get it. Like, I get it, and it's hard, and there's so many things we, we're battling, and we're trying to figure out what's more pressing. At, every single day, it's like something different, and how is it that we can battle and fight? It, I get it, but the church isn't built on our efforts. The church is built by the Lord continuing to, to meet people and to, to love people and to reveal himself to people. Now, we are an instrument. We go out. We have the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, to go out and to make disciples, and that's what we should do. We should never, we're just an instrument, and, and we get the great privilege to be a part of his work on earth. He is using us for his glory. But God builds this church, not you and I. Because we have that responsibility to go and to make disciples. Journey back with me a little bit to that cave I was telling you about. I read a, uh, a Jewish, uh, um, an author said that 
that at the, at the, uh, at the gates, or sorry, at, the, uh, at, the, at, the, at that cave, there was this temple that was built. And behind that temple, uh, when um, a few, uh, it, was, it was, I don't remember the exact time, early uh, after Jesus had died, and, and um, several hundred years potentially after Jesus had died, there was, a, there was a, um, an earthquake that had diverted the water away from this particular uh, uh, spring, and so it was no longer like a, a tributary to the Jordan. It just has this, this cave that's now dry. And when they went back behind that cave to see what was going on after the water had all gone, they found just bones everywhere. Bones from sacrifice that they had, that, that, that little temple that was built there. People would walk up into the temple and they would toss their sacrifices into the water. And I think in the, at that cave you can pretty much, you know, I don't know, you can just kind of sit there and, and, and think about what happened in the New Testament time when it came to temples and the worship of various gods. You know, there's, there's sacrifices being made. They know that's for there. There could be temple prostitution going on as well. There could be all kinds of things that are going on in that area. And at this particular place here, he would say, this, this, uh, this Jewish commentator would say that that was actually, when, when they're referring to the gates, Jesus referring to the gates of hell, that was it. Because basically you would walk through and whatever went on at that particular temple, they called it the gates of hell. That's what went on there. I kind of envision like if I'm walking my family through this particular area and, and I'm trying to sh uh, shield their eyes and shelter their eyes from what is going on in that particular area. And they're like, hey, what's that over there? And I'm just basically saying that's the gates of hell. We don't ever want to do anything with that. We don't want, anything to, be, we don't want to be part of any of that stuff that goes on in there. And so when, when Jesus says that, that nothing is going to overthrow the church, it doesn't matter what it is or what it's going to get, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Regardless of what the culture throws at us, regardless of what's going to happen, the church will always remain because Jesus said it was always going to remain. He says, I will, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. No matter what dumpster fire we have to battle in the days to come. The gates of hell will not prevail against. It is clear here that Jesus is giving his followers the assurance that nothing in the world or the next can overthrow the church. Nothing can. So the question we have uh, whether you're a believer, whether you're a Christian in here, or maybe you're far from God, whatever that may be, the question is, we all have to ask ourselves, is who is he? Who is Jesus? Because the question was asked 2,000 years ago, and it still asks today, who is Jesus? Who do people say the Son of Man is? It was Jesus' favorite designation for himself, the Son of Man, used it all the time in re reference to him. So the question here for you, Christian, is who do you say that Jesus is? Maybe here today you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you're, you're far from God. The question remains for you as well. Who do you say that Jesus is? Is he just a good dude? Cool hair, nice sandals? A moral man? Or is he the Christ, son of the living God? Because Christian, your answer to that, your answer to that question affects every aspect of your life. 
It affects how you raise your kids, how you raise your grandkids. It affects how you treat people around you, how you treat your spouse, husbands, wives, how you treat your husband. It affects how I do my job. It affects how you do your job. If he's just a good dude, he's not any different than Buddha or Allah or Shiva in Hinduism. He's no different. So who is he? Is he who he says he is or is he not? Is he like everything else in your life? Or is he more? That's the question that has to be answered today and every day is who is Jesus? Because he affects our life. Our answer to that question affects everything that we do. You're here this morning and you're a believer. You're a Christian. The answer to that question should affect your life after the amen and when you step out these doors. You should be different. If you're far from God this morning. You're not a believer. You're not a Christian. It should be a question that you wrestle with. So we come this morning, as we do every morning, giving the opportunity to respond to the question that Jesus has asked. Who do you say that he is? Maybe you're here this morning and you have a relationship with Jesus, but you've just not, it's not been your thing lately. Maybe it's time for you to repent and trust him as your Savior and Lord, Lord. Maybe you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Jesus is just your homeboy. Maybe today's the day in which he moves beyond just a nice guy or a moral teacher, but maybe today's the day where he comes and he is the Messiah. Maybe he is the Lord. And we want to give you that opportunity this morning to come to know Jesus as your Savior. And if you're here this morning, I pray that you wouldn't, and you're not a believer, I pray that you wouldn't leave this place today without coming into faith and trusting and putting your faith in Jesus Christ. We are so grateful you have spent the last several minutes with us, and I hope you were encouraged in your walk with Jesus Christ. If you're a member of another church, I pray that this experience would be supplemental to your fellowship and service in your local body. If you're not currently connected to a local church and you live in the Bowling Green area, we would love to welcome you in person at Eastwood at one of our campuses on Sunday at 9.30 or 11. You can find all the information you need on our website, www.eastwoodbc.org or you can contact us to get answers to your questions. Again, I pray you were encouraged during your time with us. May you be richly blessed in Christ.